Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. Hey, if we can gather back, take a seat. I love that you guys like to spend time talking to one another. That's great. That's usually the most uncomfortable part of the service for introverts. So if we have any introverts here, I, I struggle with you. Um, that, that can be very uncomfortable. My name's Gary. Uh, this is my second time at Branches. I was here at the beginning of June. How many of you were here when I spoke last month? Okay, well, I'm back. <laughs> Boogie, uh, I, I, when I was here, I, I talked about what happens when the bottom falls out. You know, we all have those times in our life where we're going along, and we can be smack dab in the middle of God's will, doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing, everything right, and then the bottom just falls out. And I used Genesis 39, part of the story of Joseph, as my text for that. Because it, it happens that the bottom falls out. And I was all ready to expand on that. I had another message prepared and was going to kind of piggyback off of that. And Monday, my phone rang, and it was Boogie. And I knew something must be up, because why would he be calling me? We'd already settled everything. And he said, hey, so how's your message coming? I said, done. Done. He said, well, I was thinking. I was thinking, and he knows that I've been in ministry for over 40 years, and he said, what if you do a little change of direction? He says, what? He said, have you ever thought, if you could go back, you've been in ministry for over 40 years, you've seen a lot of stuff, you know a lot of stuff, you've experienced a lot of stuff, what if you went back and said, here's what's most important? So the task that Boogie has given me is to take 40-something years of ministry and condense it down to 30 to 40 minutes and give you the highlights of what you should know. I, I don't know how I'm going to do that. I can't believe he asked me to do that, but I started praying about it. And I came up, the way I framed it was, if I had one more shot, just one opportunity to speak, this is my last message. Hopefully that's not true. But, but if it was... What would I share? What would be the nuggets? What would be the most important thing that I would want this church to know? And so I picked seven. I don't know if it's the most complete number because actually the seventh one I didn't hardly even get into because not enough time. But I picked seven. So let me say right up front, if when I finish and you say, well, who missed the most important one? This one, because that one's important to you. Forgive me up front. These are my seven. Probably yours is probably one of the most important, but these are the ones, as I prayed about this, these are the ones that I came up with that said, this is what I think I need to say. So, these are the nuggets. So, I would encourage you, have a little card there. Um, there's only seven words you really need to write down. Write those seven words down and see what God speaks to you this morning. Okay? The first that I think is most important, if I, could, if I had one more shot, 
the most important thing I would say is that this is really, really special. Now, you, you may have thought, wow, I was expecting something a little bit more profound than that. But it's one of the foundation points that we have as followers of Christ to just understand that God really, really, really loves us. And we know verses, you know, uh, you know, even the children are probably memorizing John 3.16, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. We know that. God loves us so much that he gave his most precious for us. And then there's a verse in 1 John that says, for God so loved the world that he gave us one and only son. That's John 3.16. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. But we get it all twisted up. We, we know those verses. We might have memorized those verses. Because we don't understand unconditional love. Most of us, if we're in love with someone, it's, the truth of the matter is, I love you if, I love you when. And so our love oftentimes comes with conditions. And, but when God loves us, no matter what, he isn't waiting for you to get your act together to come to him. He's not waiting for you to, to um, do away with an addition. Anybody need a Bible? If you need a Bible, we're giving them away. Okay. He's not waiting on you to give up that addiction or that, that problem that keeps you nagging onto you. He'd love to see those things dealt with, but he's not waiting for you to, to have that dealt with before you come to him. Romans 5.8 says it pretty clearly. It says that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Are you aware? I mean, you should be aware that every sin that we commit He's already paid the penalty for it. He's paid the price for it. And yet, we get it mixed up because we keep thinking, well, if I do better, then God will love me. But that's conditional love. That's based on you. Salvation isn't based on us doing anything but accepting his sacrifice. But another thing that gets us twisted up, and when I say us, maybe I'm just pointing at me. When I first became a Christian, the pastor started talking about this thing called the Trinity. And he said, there's God the Father, and I grew up in the South, and so I got saved in the South. And he said, and then there's God the Holy Ghost, and then there's over here, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ. Now, I, I thought Jesus, I mean, I didn't know anything. What he raised in church. He said, Jesus was great because he died for my sins. I didn't understand the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. Only thing I could connect with that was when I was growing up, and this will really date me, probably only one or two of you might identify with this. There was a cartoon called Casper the Ghost, Casper the Friendly Ghost. And so that was the only, I mean, isn't this bad? That's the only thing I could connect the Holy Spirit with. Well, maybe he's a friendly ghost. If he's the Holy Ghost, maybe he's friendly. But when it came to God the Father, my father, father was a mean drunk. And so when I thought about God the Father, the picture that I had 
was this old man sitting in a, on a throne up in heaven with a big bag of lightning bolts beside him and just watching and kind of bent eastward saying, wait, God. He's just waiting for me to mess up so he could fling one of those lightning bolts at me. Now, if you think about it, that's about as far away from who God is, God the Father is, as you can get. God is love, and he loves us. And so one of the most important things, if I only had one thing one more time, would be to say God loves you. He loves you the way you are. No matter what, God really, really loves you. Number two, God's given you spiritual gifts. And an important part to this one is to use. God's given you spiritual gifts to use. Now, I don't have time to even read these verses, but I encourage you to write them down. And 1 Corinthians 13, 28 is not the verse. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 28. So if you're making notes, write that down. And then Ephesians 4. These are important verses, and they list out all the spiritual gifts. So I, I have a question. How many of you know your spiritual gifts? Maybe half. And what you're saying, the question is, are you using your spiritual gifts? Because it's one thing to know them. It's another thing to use them. If you don't know your spiritual gifts, the next time you see Pastor Boogie, say, hey, Pastor Boogie, Jerry said you need to do a series on spiritual gifts. You need to know what that is because God has given everyone in this room a spiritual gift. At least one. And we are to use them or the body's hindered. I've got this body. And this is a picture of what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. He writes about the body of Christ and he uses the image of the body. Now, I don't have really any sores right now. I don't have any, I don't have anything wrong right now as far as I'm concerned. I'm, I can function pretty well. But have you ever seen these football players that are 340 pounds and it's just muscle and they look like they could walk through walls and yet they get this thing called turf toe and this 340 pound person is sidelined because of their toe. The body of Christ is like that. For us to function the way we're supposed to function, Everybody needs to be using their gifts. And if somebody doesn't, it's like taking out a toe, taking out an eye, taking out an ear. We need the body of Christ to know what their spiritual gifts are. So, if you don't know, tell Boogie needs to do a series on spiritual gifts or have a Bible study class or something like that, and you can blame it on me. If you do know, my question is, are you using your gifts? Because it's so important for the body of Christ. You want to know what Boogie's job description is? Because we, we oftentimes think, hey, we pay the staff to do this stuff. Let me read to you Boogie's job description, or part of it. 
Ephesians 4.12, it says, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's his job, to teach you what your gifts are so that you can go out and use them. Use them here and use them outside this room. The next one, number three, is God calls us into community. He calls us into community. It's so important, and, and this church has it. I mean, I didn't see really anybody awkward during that greeting time. And you need to know, most churches do that about two minutes. It's about enough time to say, good morning, good morning, good morning, and sit down. You guys have a conversation. So, But God calls us to be community. And the, the best place to see this is in Acts chapter 2. Right after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, and the church <coughs> is kind of birthed. So follow along with me. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day, they continued to meet together in the temple. They broke bread in their homes and ate with glad, glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And God added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Somehow, somewhere, we've lost that. That sense of community, that sense of being together. We go to church. We come to church, but we've lost this fact that we are the church. You're the church. You meet in this room, but this room is not Branch's church. You are Branch's church. And it's not just on Sunday morning for an hour or so. It's more important that you're the church out there. And you, you get that sense of it in community. We were the church that my wife and I had the privilege of planting 22 years ago, we miraculously got this piece of property. Can you imagine? I, maybe another time if I get invited back, I can share the story. But we, we bought 16 acres of land in Southern California for $26,000. And it's prime property between the 215 and the 15 feet. It's a miracle. Everything about this was a miracle. So we're building this church building this multiple-million-dollar church. We're 80% done with it. July the 3rd, and it burned down in 35 minutes. And I'm standing up on the Railroad Canyon Road that's right in front of the church, and right after I got through, they stopped all traffic. And I'm standing there, and my cell phone rings. And I pick it up. I didn't identify the number, but I said, hello, and they said, Hi, is this Pastor Ennis? And I thought, well, that's somebody I don't know because nobody calls me Pastor Ennis. So I said, yes, yes, it is. And he says, this is Paul Moyer from Channel 4 News. Now, Paul Moyer is no longer with Channel 4. He retired, but it was him. And he said, they won't let us on to your property. Can we do a live interview? It's 4 o'clock. I said, well, what are you going to ask him? He said, oh, we'll just ask him a couple questions. It'll be fine. So I hung the phone up, and I, I had two or three friends there with me, and I said, hey, guys, we really need to pray. 
and we need to pray that I don't say anything stupid. Because we're going live on Channel 4 News at 4 o'clock, and they'll show it again at 5 o'clock, and show it again at 6 o'clock, and I don't want to say something really stupid. And so we prayed, God, don't let him say anything stupid prayer. About two minutes before my phone rings, we were the opening story for Channel 4 News at 4 o'clock. And I hear him setting it up in the background. We have Pastor Gary Innerson, the Lamb Fellowship. Pastor Gary, how does it feel to see your bur- your church burn to the ground? That was his opening question. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad we prayed the stupid prayer because I could have said something really stupid there. I said, well, Paul, that was just the building. The church is still standing and praising God. And he said, well. Pastor Gary, you sound like you have a lot of faith. I said, Paul, beginning of the universe, God created. That was Pastor Gary Ennis from the Lamps. It was the it was the shortest disaster newscast that has ever been. He was not going to let me praise God. And so that evening, when they started, they opened up all the roads. My wife and I went back out there, and we kind of stayed in the shadows. I didn't want to be interviewed. I didn't want. But we're walking around, and we're looking at these these newscasters trying to get somebody to to be mad at God, to to say, I can't believe God did this to us. And I I knew the church was okay when they were interviewing this little girl. She's probably 12 years old. And they said, well, honey, how does it feel to see the church burn to the ground? And she said, I'm the church. That's just a building. My pastor said, I'm the church. And Okay, thank you. (laughs) You are the church. You don't come to church. You are the church. Be the church. That's one of the most important things I can say to you. God has given you a mission. And it's probably not in this room. It's probably somewhere outside of this room. And you say, well, I'm not, I don't feel comfortable sharing my faith with people. I mean, it's awkward. You don't have to. Just be a Christian. Just live what you believe in front of others. I don't know if I shared this story with you before when I was here, but it just came to me, and I'm going to say it because somebody needs to hear this. When, before I was a Christian, I'd just gotten out of the Navy, and I was drinking, I was smoking dope, I was doing anything that people shouldn't do, and I was working in this lab, and this guy worked right across from me, his little sink and chemicals were here, and mine were here, and I had to look at this guy all day long, and he had it together, except the only thing that I could, the only way I could understand that was I thought, he's on drugs, he found some drug that he can function at work and yet take that drug. And so we would sometimes have to stir little beakers at this little heated table, and I'd be sitting there stirring my beakers, and I'd say, hey, what are you on? And he would pick his beakers up and say, you don't want to know, and walk away. And I would be dumbfounded. It's like, of course I want to know. Of course I asked you, didn't I want to know? So one day I had had it. I just had it. He's in the break room by himself. 
I walk up to him. I pick him up against the coconut tree. I grab his collar. I pull my fist back, and I say, you tell me what you're on, or I'm going to punch you out right here. And this is, what he, this is what it looked like, and this is what he said. Believe it. I couldn't deny it. I could not deny that Jesus was in his life. I didn't understand it. So you can say, well, I'm uncomfortable with sharing the gospel. This guy shared the gospel every day and didn't say a stinking word about Jesus. He didn't wear Christian t-shirts, didn't carry a Bible. Now, if that's your gift, use your gift. But this guy just lived such an incredible life that the only way I could understand it is you've got to be on drugs. So use your gift. Use your gift. The body of Christ needs your gift. And when we're in community, your gifts work best when we're here. They had everything in common. And they spent time together. We need to laugh together. We need to cry together. We need to work together. So, number four. God desires us to connect. He desires to connect with you. He's given us different ways to connect. The Bible is one. When I came here in the beginning of June, I used Genesis 39 to teach from God's word about living in integrity when the bottom falls out. God's word has an answer for every single thing that you're going to face. It's there. It's right in the word. You just need to use it. God wants to talk to you through his word. I was talking to the worship leader this morning, and he said, I have no idea what you're preaching on today. And I said, well, I couldn't really give you a theme. It's like 40 years of that. So, But he said, I, because I, I sometimes don't know, I said, I never used to tell my worship leader I was preaching. And it was so incredible when God would pick the, put in his heart the perfect song for my message without him knowing. And so God wants to use his word, and he'll do that. He'll speak to us if we have ears to listen to him. The second thing is in prayer. We listen to him in prayer. He uses his word to speak to us and connect with us. He uses prayer. And sometimes the thing that gets in the way is because we'll pray and say amen and walk away, and we don't listen. Prayer's got two parts. We speak and we listen. But we take prayer and we say, okay, I'm, I'm just going to supplement some prayer here. And we put the stuff out and, and then we just say amen and, and then we walk away. You need to sit back and listen. God's got something to say. And we often miss it because, you know, if it takes more than two minutes for him to speak, I don't have time. i got to get out of here. We need to take time to listen, expect him to speak to us. He uses prayer. One night, back when I was first planted the church, I'm in my hot tub. A hot tub's a great place, place to pray. You know, you relax. I usually get in the hot tub at night because it's dark. Nobody else is around. I'm out there. The bubbles make enough noise that nobody can really hear you if they try. And I'm out there just praying. And I remember I was facing this one particular wasteland, and I just didn't know what to do. I could go this way or that way. I could go this way or that way. I couldn't stay here. I had to go this way or that way. And like, God, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't know what to do. Talk to me. 
about 11.30. And so I sat there probably till about midnight. Didn't hear anything but the bubble, so I was like, okay. So I, you know, turned it off, went to bed. The next morning at 6 o'clock in the morning, my phone rang. This person says, Jared, I'm so sorry, so sorry to call you so early, but actually I wanted to call you last night about 11.30. God put this thing on me, and I knew I was supposed to tell you, but, I, you know, probably red, and I thought, no, I'm going to talk to this person. So she says, I couldn't wait any longer. She said, this makes no sense to me. But this is what I felt like God wanted me to tell you. Go forward. I'm, I've got you. Does that, make, does that make sense to you? And it's like, go forward. I've got this. Yes. Forward which direction? And she said, go forward to the things that you were thinking the most about. It's like, then it became perfectly clear. Because I knew what I felt like I was supposed to do, but there was this other thing over here that, but this was the one I was supposed to do. And, and it was just clarified. And this goes back to spiritual gifts. This lady is an intercessor in our church, but she also has a gift, a prophetic gift. What if she would have said in her home that night at 1130 and said, go forward, I've got this. That's stupid. I'm not, I'm not going to call him, go forward, I've got this. Good for her that she took the risk to use her gift and to step out and tell me something that gave me clarity of a direction that I was supposed to go. That's why it's so important for us to use our gifts because God wants to use, he wants to use his word, he wants to use prayer, and oftentimes he uses other people to speak to us. But if, if you have a gift, a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, and you, you think, well, I'm not going to, I'm not, it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm not. You've got to say it. That's one of the ways that God speaks to us. He uses his word. How many of you would like to know God's will for your life? I mean, if, if you think about that, that is the question. That if we get the answer to that question, God, what is your will for my life? We get that question answered, we'd be set. Well, I can tell you, God uses his word to direct you. He uses prayer to direct you. He uses other people to direct you. But the problem, the thing we bump into, is I can open his word and say, Ooh, I, if I go there, I know, I know what he's going to tell me to do, so I won't, I won't read that. Oh, yeah, that one's, that one's nice. I'll, I'll, okay, I'm reading his word. I can pray, and he can say, I want you to go. And I can say, Altadena? <laughs> you know, you want me to go where? <laughs> you don't, you don't want to hear it. Or I could say, I'm really looking for God's will in my life, so I'm going to go talk to people. No, I know he'd tell me this too. You'll tell me what I want to hear. We can manipulate all three of those things. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know when we're manip manipulating. I want to give you a hint. There's a fourth one. And this is a way, when you're trying to discern God's will for your life, let this one be primary. You can't manipulate peace. You can't make yourself be at peace. Try it the next time you're in conflict. Say, okay. <laughs> I mean, Seinfeld's a good example. Remember George's dad? Serenity now! You know, <laughs> let me be at peace. 
I'm sorry, that probably, hopefully that didn't get recorded. <laughs> but it's, it's like that. Peace. We can't make ourselves be at peace. But where Jesus is, there's peace. The story is where he's in the back of the boat asleep. And they're out on the Sea of Galilee and the waves are crashing. And these fishermen are afraid they're going to die in a storm. And Jesus stands up and the first thing he says, peace be still. All of a sudden, the calmness of the sea comes on. And they think, who is this? But the truth is, the storms in your life, the questions that you have, when you invite Jesus in, peace comes in. If you're, if you're wondering about something and you've got a sense of peace about it, that's a primary step for you to take in discerning God's will when you're at peace. The fifth one, God wants you to trust him with your finances. Now see, some of you, I just lost my finances. <laughs> and some of you, like so many, would say, oh yeah, these people, you've got to talk about money. But the truth is, I've never understood it. We'll trust God with our eternal soul. We'll trust Him with our salvation, our eternal life, but I will not trust Him with my wallet or my checkbook. It just really makes no sense. When I first became a Christian, I didn't know anything, nothing. I mean, I'm, I'm the guy doing drugs and drinking, and, and, but I, I had an experience with the Lord. I really did become a Christian, and... There were two Christians in the place where I worked. This guy, who I really trusted, and another guy that was from another denomination. And so he came up to me, the other guy, one day, and he says, hey, so you're a Christian now. Do you believe in tithing? I said, of course I do. And then he walks away, and I asked this guy, what's tithing? And he said, that's where you give 10% of your income to the church. You've got to be kidding. People do that? They give 10, 10% of what they make to the church. He said, Gary, I want you to go home tonight, and I want you to read from Malachi. I've got the scripture up there, Malachi 3. So I went home that night, and I, I read this. It says, will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you in tithes and offerings? You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storeroom, that there may be food in the house, in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. So <laughs> I came back the next day. I mean, that's pretty clear from God's word. But I said, hey, that's in the Old Testament. Well, don't we, don't we kind of live in the New Testament now? bad mistake. <laughs> it's worse. <laughs> he, he started talking to me about what the New Testament has to say. The entire New Testament throughout deals with generosity. I, I think there was three words that I think we'd all agree are most important. Love, serve, and give. In the New International Version of the Bible, Love occurs 
547 or 74 times service occurs 230 and gives 212 times almost twice as much as love god is a giver and he's if we're going to reflect him we should be givers it's how the church functions i you know i <laughs> i used to feel pretty good when i first became a christian you know and they passed the plate i i almost wanted to pull my 20 dollar bill out and go you know like look at this hey and put it in when i started reading this it's like holy moly what have i been doing matthew 6 21 says for where your treasure is there your heart will be also jesus goes on to say you can't serve both god and money and the thing back to malachi is the lord almighty <laughs> that first verse he says test me in this and I can tell you today that that crazy young hippie guy said, okay, okay, I'll test you. And so my wife and I started tithing 10% of our income to the church. And I can tell you today, after 40-something years, God has been faithful in every single way. We may not have gotten all the things that we wanted, but we've always had what we needed time and again. God will bless you. That's his promise. And so when I think of what's so important is if you learn that lesson, it's not like God says, hey, give me your money. God doesn't need your money. He wants your obedience. And when you are obedient to your God, Watch what I'll do for you. Watch how I'll bless you. When we were first in Bible college, I didn't have two nickels to rub together. I mean, and yet I put this little piece of paper by my desk where I studied. And every time I'd have a need, I would write it down. And then the column right next to it was how God met that need. And there was never anything on that that wasn't substantial. I remember one day we had to pay rent, and it's like tomorrow it's due, and I think it was like we needed $430, and I thought, well, God, I guess I can call him up and say, will you give us a break, or what can we do, and I went out, and, and I checked the mail, and there was what looked like a check, but it was addressed to my wife. So I bring it back in and say, open this. And when we had Buzzy, who come and he's, he's spoken here at this church, when we, since we had Buzzy, we had two insurance policies. This was, so it got paid twice. Guess how much the check was for? $430. You could say, well, that's a coincidence. Well, I've lived a life of coincidence. God is true to his word. And if we trust him with our salvation, our eternal life, we can certainly trust him with our finances. The sixth one is this, and this is so important. God will not waste your pain. God doesn't waste your pain. When I taught here last time, I think one of the things that, that Boogie said, he said, a, a lot of my people really 
identified with what you said. And he said, well, everybody in the room could have identified with it because everybody in the room has had the bottom fall out of their life at some level. I, I said it to those that were here last time. I said, you've either just gotten through it, you're just getting ready to it, or it's in the mail. It's coming. It's, 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 part, of, it's part of the Christian life. We have this, this, this thing about the Christian life that there's pain involved, there's struggle involved. It's part of reality. But God will never waste that pain. He'll never waste that thing. It will do one of two things. And these are two words that would be good to write down. Bitter or better. When you are facing the bottom falling out in pain, and you have the choice of which it will be, you can either get bitter and blame God and say, why'd you do this? What are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? I thought you loved me. You could do all that. But I can tell you, I told you last time, God doesn't answer very often why questions. The questions he answers are when we say, what do you want me to learn? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to see? What do you want to show me through this, God? He will always answer those. God answers those. Most of the stories that I share when I preach were birthed out of pain and struggle. And on this side of them, it seems funny and isn't that great? And wow, isn't that weird the way that worked out? But in the middle of it, in the middle of it, where there's pain, my wife and I went through this period of time in our marriage that we refer to as the seven hell years. We will we'll be married this coming May, 50 years. But there was a seven-year period of time in our marriage that we had a California king-size bed, and I slept on my six inches over here, and she slept on her six inches over here, and she had slept four or five people between us. Now today, God uses that painful experience in our life. There are people in my church that will come up to me and say, I'm in year four. But see, they're encouraged because we're going to be married 50 years in May. We got through it. God took us through it. And so that can be a testimony. That's, that's something that God can use to encourage other people. And usually the, the question that people ask is, how'd you get through that? I'll give you a real quick, easy, free statement. I quit looking at her. I quit blaming her. And I started looking up and say, God, forgive her. What do I need to change? And little did I know that she's on this side of the bed saying, God, forget him. What do you need to change in me? See, we can, I can change that. I can deal with it. I can't change her. I can change me. And if I'm seeking him and saying, God, what do you want to change in me? A lot of those things that he showed me were painful. But I'm sure glad that I changed it. God wants to, to use our pain for his glory and to bring us through it. And he's willing to do that. There's a verse in Romans 8.28. And this.
this is one of the verses that it's a great verse, but I've seen it so misused. It says, for we know that in all things, God works for the good of those whom he loves, who've been called according to his purpose. But how I see that verse used so often in the church is somebody loses a loved one and they come up and say, well, we know that all things work together. I want to stop that. Don't do that. We find somebody that's, that's just had an accident. There's a guy in our church that was in a horrible accident. The person that was with him didn't survive it. He has 42 bones broken in his body. I want to visit him and say, Marky, wake up. You know all things work together for good. Somebody smack you. You know, we, we find somebody that's, that had a bad report from the doctor and we want to quote Romans 8, 28. Don't do it. You go to those three situations, somebody dies, somebody's in an accident, somebody's just got bad news from a doctor, go, be the body of Christ. But when you get there, just give them a hug and sit down and shut up. Just your presence is key. Your presence is important. Anybody here that's had those situations happen, you know that when the church shows up, you know what I pray for when somebody says, oh, so-and-so just lost this person in their life. My first prayer, and this is this is sad to say, but it's one of the first things I pray. God, please protect them from stupid. Because people will go up and, and you do it with a good heart. You want to you wanna bring comfort, but we say the stupidest things. Oh, well, I just had a pet that died. I know how you feel. No, you don't. This is a person, not your dog. Just show up. I mean, <laughs> forgive me, Vicki, if you're watching. This is one of the most important things because this church, if it's a community, if you're going to be the church, you're going to go through things. And what the church really shines is when they just show up. And they give a hug. And they bring a meal. And let me say one other thing. <laughs> don't ask the person, don't, don't say to them, is there anything you need? Look around. What do they need? Do they need their, their lawn mowed? Mow their lawn. Is there a stack of dirty dishes? Wash their dishes. Did, is there, do their clothes need washing? Does there, is there got a bunch of kids? And this lady just lost her dad and was devastated. Then come over and do her laundry. Don't ask her. She's not going to say, oh, yeah, would you mow the lawn? Would you wash the dishes? Would you do the laundry? She's not going to say that. Open your eyes and use the, the love that God's given you by just using, using, using. When we do that, that's one of the greatest gifts you can ever give. There's a lady in our, in our town whose husband died. And the church she was going to, she asked him, she said, my husband just died, can, can I have a service here? And they said, no, he wasn't a member. <laughs> oh, well, that's the love of Christ, huh? So she calls our church, a stranger church that she doesn't know anything about. 
So my husband described, would it be possible to have church at our church? He said, sure. I said, well, I don't really have a pastor. And he said, well, we got some people on staff. So we let her have the church service in our church. We provided her a pastor and said, do you want to have a reception afterwards? We'll, we'll cook some food. That lady's never left our church. And we didn't try, we didn't do that to, oh, we're going to raise our numbers. We did it because that's what Jesus was doing. That's what we need to ask ourselves every once in a while when, when we come into somebody with some pain. What would Jesus do here? What would he do? And I, I don't think he would quote Romans 8, 28. He would just come in and show up and be comforted. He won't waste your time. The last one I want to give you, and I, and I really don't have time to develop this. So the next time I come, <laughs> I'll pick up here unless Boogie comes up with another idea of what he thinks I should teach on. But here's the seventh one. God wants you to know that you have an enemy. You have an enemy. The Christian life is a spiritual life. And the life we live is a spiritual battle. Because we have an enemy. Ephesians 6, 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I think so often we go through life and, as, as Christians and we don't realize, we don't remember that we have an enemy whose goal is to destroy us. He is winning the battle. When I was on a business venture for the King of Salisbury, and it would have been great if he could have destroyed our marriage. Because I was a pastor. And what that would have said to all the people that I had performed weddings for is maybe this isn't real. Maybe it's not going to work. He was out to destroy our marriage. But he didn't make it. And not only did he save our marriage, but because of that, he saved so many marriages. My son has a number of tattoos on his body. And every year on his anniversary, he gets a star, a little tiny star under a, a tattoo here that represents his wife. And one year, there was a teardrop coming out of this one star. And I asked him about it, and I said, Dad, that's not true. He said, honestly, you and mom hadn't have made it through the hell week, this would probably be the last one. But if you guys can get through that one, I can get through this one. Thank you, Dad. We have an enemy that's goal, his, his desire, his number one goal is to destroy your life, to wreck it. But God has given you every spiritual thing you need, especially if we're in this together. If you're a community, if you're, if you're a, a fellowship that, that can be honest with one another, and I, I, I love part of your, your thing on your website says, you know, I can't quote it, but it's like you take people whose life are broken, it doesn't matter if you've got a broken life, you're welcome here. That's, the, that's what the church is to, supposed to be. I've always looked at our church as a hospital. 
all the broken, all the wounded, all the hurting, come in here and find healing because where God is, there is healing. And if we are God's representatives on this earth, we can heal. And your healing can be just accepting somebody, just hugging somebody, just talking to somebody. So, God loves you. He's given you spiritual gifts. He's called you to be a community. He wants to connect with you through his word, through prayer, through other people. And where Jesus shows up, there's peace. God wants you to trust him with your finances. And God will never waste your change. He wants to remind you that you've got an enemy. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the first statement I made that you really do love us. God, most of us just don't comprehend that because it's so unusual to get that kind of love here on this earth. And yet you love us. So God, if there is anybody here this morning that's questioning whether you should love them, however you do it, please communicate to them through us, through your word, that you really do love them as you guide them. And Father, I pray this church would be a church where the gifts flow and are used in mighty, mighty ways. That this would be such a community. They wouldn't come to church, but they would just be the church out in the world. And God, that you would connect with them. I pray your word would come alive with people. As they read it, it would be like having a conversation. You could speak to them through a verse. May their prayers as they listen, may they hear the gentle, quiet voice just And God, I pray for those that are afraid of trusting you with their, with their finances. That God, you would, you would allow them to, to touch you, like that word says in Malachi, that they would touch you. And that you would just pour blessings out on them. God, I know that in a, in a group this size, there's somebody here that's going through some painful experiences. I pray, God, that this body would be used to bring healing, to bring peace, to bring comfort. Because as we represent you, you are the God of all comfort, and Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. And God, please help us to remind us that our enemy is out. Peter says he's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Let us be aware of that. I thank you and I praise you, God. In Jesus' precious name. where God speaks to you there.
second was pray for people to have people pray for you to not say stupid things. Where was that before I came up here? And third was, uh, most importantly, is that God loves you. And throughout the entire um, seven points, you can weave a thread of God being our friend. Whether that is in community here or out, whether that is in your finances and what you're doing with them, whether that is in your dark place of pain and suffering, whether that is with the enemy roaring at you, God loves you through it all. And he loves you so much. He will not abandon you. So with that, that is my biggest takeaway for the day. We're on the time now. Uh, <laughs> um, so I'd like, to, I'd like to pray for us. Father God, I pray, Lord, that through this week, uh, through this day, that we remember how much you care for us and you love us. How much uh, you have not held back. That you have sacrificed things that you love so much for us. I pray that we would live our lives to shine that in the world to other people that ask us to pray. Be with us this week. We love you, Lord. Um, branches, don't forget to pick up your kids. And if you do have a second, just fold up your chair or the chair next to you and uh, hang it up on the on the rack. See you guys next week.